Hi, I'm Chloe, if we haven't already met, and we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we'll actually sneak in the last verse from the previous chapter. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But... Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Thanks for that reading. Uh, my name's Rod. If you're visiting or new, I'm one of the pastors here at WBC. It's great that you can join us and for those online as well as we continue in our series in Corinthians made to this famous chapter, which I'm sure you know the words of uh, well. I'm going to pray in a moment and then we'll consider uh, this section of God's Word. But a couple of quick things to note uh, before I do that. Um, Firstly, you won't see Mark tonight because he's in Nara this week, just like I was last week as we continue to support Nara Baptists who are without a pastor at the moment. Ken will be there in a fortnight's time, so just so you're aware, but continue to be praying for that church as they search for a pastor. As was mentioned briefly um, by Beck, um, there are new applicants coming in uh, for membership, and we've actually put their photos this time on the notice board. So down near the coffee machine at the end of the foyer when you go out for supper, we encourage you to check out uh, the photos there and the names. Some of them are in the morning, some in the evening. But if you don't know those people, to get to know them, um, to encourage them. Because as a church, when we come together in a couple of Tuesday nights' time to welcome them into membership, we really want to affirm um, that we know that they're genuine believers committed to us as a family. And so that would be a great part of the process that we could engage in. One final thing, which is a sad note, um, some of you may have been at the uh, mission afternoon that we had with Vijaya about Bangladesh um, about a month ago. Uh, we've supported her 
and her family that um, lead the Christian Discipleship Center in Dhaka in Bangladesh. The Vidlas in particular have had long-term connection. Um, Vijaya was sort of saying goodbye after being back in Australia for a couple of years in COVID, then heading back to Bangladesh to lead, but she only got as far as Thailand when she came down with pneumonia, and she's been um, in hospital in Bangkok and has just passed away this afternoon, uh, which is all a bit sudden. Um, and so that's a big shock for the family. And so I'm going to pray for her family um, as I pray for us as we come to God's word now. But please uh, continue to uphold them and that ministry in Bangladesh uh, that it will continue to go forward and proclaim the good news. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, that you are the Lord of life. Uh, you are sovereign over all things, and indeed you number our days even before we're born. And so it's with sadness that we hear this sudden news of Vijaya's passing. We thank you for such a gospel-hearted servant uh, who left her home country of India many years ago to serve in Bangladesh over these past three or four decades. We thank you for the great work, the many students that have gone through the Bible college that her husband and her uh, commenced all those years ago. And we pray, Lord, that you'll continue uh, to help the work to go forward there. But we pray especially for her family at this time, uh, for her, her son and daughters as they come to grips with uh, their sudden loss, that you might comfort them and encourage them at this time. We thank you that she had a strong faith in you and that she's now with her Saviour. And Lord, we pray for ourselves tonight that you might help us, uh, grant us uh, ears to hear, eyes to see what you are saying to us in your word, that we might not only hear and read, but really see it applied to our hearts. Work in us by your spirit, we ask, uh, that we might truly live in response. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, love is a powerful motivating force. It moves people to do things, compels them to take actions towards others. In March of 2012, Roger Taylor surprised his girlfriend, Ginny Jagpal, during a night out in London. They were walking through Piccadilly Circus when suddenly they were accosted by a professional 100-strong choir singing Can't Take My Eyes Off of You by Frankie Valli. Uh, he had arranged that, along with the 200 dancers that then suddenly appeared that he'd recruited on Facebook to pull off this elaborate engagement proposal. Um, wonderful uh, outcome as expected. Back uh, at a similar time, a few years ago, Matt still convinced his girlfriend, Ginny, uh, to go to the cinema one day, and he'd arranged to have a trailer played before the movie that they were going to see, which chronicled his journey to get to the cinema, which ended with him um, proposing. And so he popped the question at the perfect moment as the trailer concluded with predictably moving results. You know, I've known people myself who have gone to such great arrangements out of love. I knew a guy that got up at 6 a.m. and uh, arranged off an island just near where he lived, rode out, set up a table and chairs, a whole breakfast, went back, collected his girlfriend, rode her out. They had breakfast. He proposed at the end of the breakfast. And this was a weekday. I mean, why he didn't take more time to do it on the weekend? But he then went off to work. How efficient is that? He, he did the proposal, did a day's work, all done. I had another friend who threw stones at his girlfriend's window at about 5 a.m., thankfully a Saturday this time, and he, 
she was whisked away to a hot air balloon. They had a lovely ride looking over out of the countryside and then he proposed by pulling out a Kinder Surprise which inside had the engagement ring. I'm not sure about the Kinder Surprise but it worked well. They're still married today, some 25 years on. Love is a powerful motivating force. It moves people to do things, compels them to take actions towards others. Now, while love is the motivating force in 1 Corinthians 13, and it is a passage that's often used at weddings, the love that Paul is speaking about here is not romantic love. Sorry to spoil that. The word translated love here is the Greek word agape, which is an other-centered sacrificial love and service. And as such, this chapter is not some digression into some poem on love, by Paul. He hasn't finished speaking through his arguments on spiritual gifts. No, this is at the heart of his argument. He's going to have a lot more to say about gifts specifically in chapter 14, as we'll see next week. What he's concerned to do here in the middle of these three crucial chapters is to show that what should be at the heart of our service and the use of our gifts is love. It's not about the practice of individual gifts. It's about how they are used amongst the church body, what controls their use. So the big question that I want us to consider tonight is this. How is love the motivation in using our gifts? How does this work? How is love to be the motivation in using our gifts? Well, three points. First point is this. Paul says that it's foundational. Love is absolutely necessary if you're going to serve another person. Look again at verses 1 to 3. Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor, if I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Notice that without love, speaking in tongues, prophecy, faith that can move mountains, any other spiritual gift, he's just collecting a few, even martyrdom are nothing. And it's not that the spiritual gift or action that the person is doing is nothing, it's that the person themselves who has the wrong motive in acting this way is nothing. See how Paul states this in the first person? I am a gong or symbol, verse 1. I am nothing, verse 2. I gain nothing, verse 3. This value judgment here is supposed to be shocking. It's supposed to be so hit by this. It's as if the loveless use of a person's gift leaves a permanent effect on them, transforming them into being something less than they should be. How can that be? Well, the value, the authenticity of what we say and what we do is completely dependent on our motive. If our motive is self-interest, if it's about praise, if it's about promotion, if it's about advantage of any sort, our influence for the Lord will be undercut to that same extent. And that's despite how relevant our words might be, how sacrificial it might seem that our service is on the surface, Because without the motivation of love, in God's sight, we're only causing a big commotion. We're like this annoying, clanging symbol that's going on all the time, drawing attention to ourselves, but not to God and not in service of others. 
the use of our gifts without Christian love or a desire to serve others is completely empty, Paul says. There's an inscription on a tombstone in a small English village which reads this. Here lies a miser who lived for himself and cared for nothing but gathering wealth. Now where he is and how he fares, nobody knows and nobody cares. In contrast, a tombstone in the courtyard of St Paul's Cathedral in London reads this. Sacred to the memory of General Charles George Gordon, who at all times and everywhere gave his strength to the weak, his substance to the poor, his sympathy to the suffering, his heart to God. I think we'd like the latter said about us, wouldn't we? Here's a contrast with regard to giving of yourself for others versus being self-seeking. Now, the examples here in this instance are about use of time and wealth. But in our passage, Paul asserts that the same contrast applies to the use of spiritual gifts. You know, we can either use them selfishly, it can be all about us, seeking attention, or we can use them in a loving way for others. Which brings me to a second answer. Second answer to how it is that love is the motivation, the right motivation for the use of our gifts. And that is that it should shape our actions. Love must shape our actions. Notice how the character of love is described in verses 4 to 7. Let me read those words again, perhaps the ones that we know best in this chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, I think, as I said at the start, that we are sometimes used to hearing these words in another context. So please hear them through the lens of serving the body of Christ, of using what God has blessed you with. Notice how he initially describes two positive aspects of this love in the first part of verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind. And notice that those two characterizations, like all the ones that will follow, are not really about a gushy sentimental feeling. They're focused on behavior, about concrete actions. The first phrase, love is patience, doesn't just mean to be willing to wait a long time. It's endurance of long suffering. When there's hurt, when others let you down, that you continue to endure. You don't retaliate. Secondly, love is kind. It's not merely patient or long-suffering in the face of hurt, but it's quick to pay back hurt with kindness. Just as patience will take offense from others, kindness will give anything to others. To be kind means to be serving, to be gracious, to be other-centered, to work for the other, actively seek their goodwill not only desires their welfare, but it works for it. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Because these qualities have always been considered a weakness in our world. Our world doesn't value these things, sadly, today for the most part. Our world is always making heroes of those who fight back, who stand up for their rights, who look after themselves, who 
belt their way to the top. But you notice we're called on to be the very opposite here. Our concern is actually to be for the welfare of others if we're a Christian. And so we're willing to be taken advantage of rather than to take advantage. You know, one of Abraham Lincoln's earliest political enemies, the famous American president, one of his earliest enemies was a man named Edwin Stanton. He called Lennon, Lincoln in the Congress a low, cunning clown and the original gorilla. He exclaimed to everyone, it's ridiculous for people to go to Africa to see a gorilla when we can easily find one in Springfield, Illinois. And, you know, Lincoln never responded to the slander. When later he became president of the United States, he needed a secretary of war as the Civil War broke out. And to the amazement of his friends, he picked Edwin Stanton. And his friends were like, what are you doing? This guy hates you. And Lincoln replied, he is the best man for the job. Years later, because Lincoln was assassinated, as the slain president's body lay in state, Stanton came along in the crowds of people who came through, and he looked into the coffin and said through tears, here lies the greatest ruler of men our world has seen. You see how his animosity was finally broken by Lincoln's long-suffering, patient, kind love. Patient love wins out. How much more should patient love win out between us as brothers and sisters in Christ? How can we not overlook small matters and hurts? Those who have been won through the blood of Jesus that sit next to you, part of the same body of Christ that you are, we should patiently serve one another, exercising our gifts that God has given us for the benefit of others, not for the benefit of ourselves. Do you notice how the character of love then is described um, negatively by Paul in verses 4 to 6? He's saying what love is not, if you like. Love does not envy. Love and envy or jealousy, if you like, are are mutually exclusive, Paul wants to say. Uh, Envy, jealousy, it, it has two forms, one might argue. One form says... I want what the other one has. In in the nature of what we're considering here in spiritual gifts, I'd prefer I had the gift that that person had. I would like to receive the praise that they receive. There's a second form that's even worse. It's that I wish they didn't have what they have. I wish they were ignored. That's jealousy on the deepest and most destructive level. Paul says Christians aren't like that. That is not what agape love looks like. He goes on to say love does not boast. When a person is well gifted, when a person is serving others, they're not to boast about it. Christian love exercised for the sake of others never parades its accomplishments. Love is not proud or literally puffed up, Paul writes. Every gift that the Corinthians had was given to them by God. Same with us. You've got nothing to be proud of. Anything you have is a gift. It's not because you're great or that you somehow weld that up within yourself. God has blessed you with that. And so do you're not to see yourself in any light and be puffed up about any knowledge or gifts that you have. 
He goes on to say, love does not dishonor others. Literally, the word behind that means love is not rude. It's not poor in its manners. The believer who does not show Christian love in this sense is careless and overbearing and rude. And we're told further that love is not to be self-seeking. This is perhaps the overriding idea throughout. Not to be marked by our own self-interest, our own importance, but the interest of others. And so loving concern for all the body of Christ means perhaps that I don't exercise my gifts for a period, that I allow others to express theirs instead. I don't know, we've got 50 musicians, so I don't need to be the 51st. I can find another avenue to serve the body that I'm in, whatever it might be. Perhaps I recognize that what I'm really good at is not needed this season, but there's going to be a further season. And in the meantime, I can be used by God in other ways. We're not limited by one thing. Christian love for each other is also something that is not easily angered, Paul says. We shouldn't get irritated or upset with people over small things. Worse still, Paul says, we're not to keep records of wrongs. He says love keeps no records. This is a bookkeeping and counting term for any of those that are into finance. And it's a necessary thing, right? In finance, you've got to have a record on the spreadsheet so that you can go back and consult it later so that people question the stats. We can say, well, this is why that amount of money went in or this amount of money went out. But when it comes to relationships, that's a really bad approach. Don't keep lists and records of what somebody's done, good or bad, for you. It's a sure way to unhappiness. And it will create a lot of hurt and harm. Love keeps no books because it has no place for grudges. If God has completely and permanently erased your sin against him, then how can you hold on to things against others? You don't have a right to. God hasn't allowed you to respond in that way, not if his spirit is working in you. You can see that selfish pride is at the root of a lot of these negative descriptions of what love is not. It's clear that we're to be humble people, that we're to be selfless in our love. This is what it looks like to serve other people. Often comes at a cost. It can be hard work because we're flawed and we struggle with these things. What does it like, look like to be selfless and humble, even in the face of people taking you for granted? William Carey, who's often referred to as the father of modern missions uh, for taking the gospel to India, almost single-handedly it might be said, was a brilliant linguist. He was amazing. He was responsible for translating the Bible into 34 languages or dialects in India. 34 by himself. And he'd been raised in a simple home in England. And as he got into his teens and into early adulthood, he helped uh, his family and he worked fixing shoes. In India, he was often ridiculed as a result for his low birth. And even people within the Christian church that he had planted would look down on him because of his background. One day, one evening, a man came up to him and said at a dinner party, I understand, Mr. Carey, that you once worked as a shoemaker. Oh, no, your lordship, Carey replied. I was not a shoemaker, only 
a shoe repairman. See, Carey's attitude in using his gifts within the body of Christ embodies this Christian love, which, as Paul says, does not boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered. And then the characteristics of love are summarised in verse 7, this time in a positive light again with four phrases to finish. Firstly, love always protects, we're told, or literally it bears all things. The idea here is that love uh, bears all things by protecting others from exposure or ridicule or harm. For example, genuine love uh, does not gossip or listen to gossip. Love never protects sin, but it's anxious to protect the sinner. Secondly, love always trusts. Love is not suspicious or cynical. It's not trying to read the motives of others. Christian love will always trust for the best outcome in the other person, even when we're wronged. Thirdly, love always hopes. You know, even if a fellow believer uh, lets us down, perhaps our interactions with them and our trust of them is shattered through some events. Love still hopes, Paul wants to say. As long as God's grace is operating, love's hope continues. God's grace is extended. The rope of love's hope has no end. And finally, as a result, fourthly, love always perseveres. It it just endures. It keeps going. Every difficulty, every hardship is endured because the body matters more than the individual. I will keep serving for the sake of my brothers and sisters. Now, how do we do that? It sounds hard, doesn't it? Where are the examples of this? How are we to know how to live in such a manner? Well, this sacrificial love is what we ultimately see displayed in the cross. It's the love of Christ. It's a love which proceeds from a God who is love, 1 John 4. Because the Christian who has experienced God's love, to him or her, while yet a sinner, has been transformed by that experience. They're going to live differently. They're now going to see people as God sees them. Not as some impediment in my path, as some difficult person that's ruining my day, but as another person saved by the blood of Christ to whom I owe allegiance and to whom I want to serve. Accordingly, our attitude is to be one that is self-giving. Jesus said in Mark 10 verse 45, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's that other-centered, selfless love and service which Paul is unfolding here in 1 Corinthians 13 in the context of us expressing our spiritual gifts to build one another up. And so we have to ask the question as we reflect on these things, are we expressing that sort of love? You know, Maybe you've served for many years or you're serving at the moment. What you've got to keep doing is checking your heart. Are you doing it with the right motivation? Are you acting out of love? Are we following the example of Jesus who in John 13 washed his disciples' feet? Can you imagine that? (laughs) The Lord of glory washing your feet. 
what did he say to his disciples at the end? You go and do likewise. That brings me to a third answer. Third answer is how love must motivate the use of our gifts. Why? Because love continues into eternity. It continues forever. Notice how the permanence of love is described in verses 8 to 10. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul's returning to the contrast between the spiritual gifts and love, which he sort of kicked off the chapter in verses 1 to 3. But notice this time the contrast is between the permanence of love and the passing transient nature of spiritual gifts. In verse 8, Paul notes that prophecies, tongues, knowledge will cease. Prophecies are setting forth what God has said. It could be a testimony. It could be an application or a response to God's word. But when we stand before God, when we know fully, as he says in verse 12, well, we don't need prophecies any longer. And the same reasoning, he says, applies to tongues and knowledge and any other gift you might care to name. They're just for now. They're just for the building up and encouragement of our brothers and sisters. But when we see Christ face to face, these things won't be needed. And so in verse 13, Paul summarizes the overriding value of love, which is going to continue into eternity, unlike these things that are passing. And he says, well, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. Paul tells us that these three remain, but there's even a sense in these final three that faith and hope have their end point when Christ returns and we're with him in heaven. We have faith toward that day. We hope and long for the eternal life that is promised in Christ. But when we have fully received that, when we see him face to face, we no longer need to hope. But we will continue to express love as we gather and praise God and care for one another in the new creation. We might also say that love is the greatest of these three because we're told in the Bible, as I mentioned before in 1 John 4, that God is love. It's the one of the primary characteristics of God. And God does not need faith. He does not hope in the sense of longing for something that's out of his control. He sovereignly controls everything. And yet he continues to express his abounding love and mercy to sinners like you and I. So what's the application as we think about this great description of how we're meant to act. Well, in this context of spiritual gifts, Paul is in effect saying to the Corinthians, look, you've got the whole thing by the wrong end. You're so caught up about your gifts and how important you are and how impressive you are that you're just selfish people and you're loveless in what you're doing. And so what you're doing is completely empty and a waste of time. It's actually an offense to God. You have to change things around. It's about the motive Your spiritual gifts prove nothing about you. They don't even affirm the Spirit's presence in your meetings if your meetings are governed by a selfishness. And these spiritual gifts are passing. They've got a use-by date anyway. And yet love will continue on into eternity, and God has shown you so much love. Paul says gifts are important. He's not denying them. 
But as you read this chapter, you can see that they're secondary in terms of how it's implemented. What's important is the motive for how we're acting, the basis on which we turn and serve. And really he's focusing on what should be the leading fruit of the Spirit for us, right? Galatians 5, we're all to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Number one in the list, love. What does love look like if it's really governing our gifts? How would I act in a way that's completely altruistic where I'm not serving self? That'd be costly, right? William Gladstone uh, was a Christian prime minister of England in the 19th century. He actually became PM four times. He served in Parliament for like 60 years. He was working late uh, one night on a really important speech that he had to give to the House of Commons the next day. It's 2 a.m. in the morning and he's still up writing this speech and he gets a knock on the door because there's a light in his house. And a woman is at the door. And she says, Mr. Gladstone, will you come and spend some time with my son? He's dying. Put down his speech, went with her straight away. Comforted this young boy throughout the night, led him to place his faith in the Lord Jesus. And as dawn was reached, the boy died. Gladstone returned to his house. He finished the speech. He got up and delivered it that day. But you see what was important to him? He once said that selfishness is the greatest curse of the human race. The true stature of the man was not that he was PM four times. It was that he would go out of his way to be selfless in his love. He's willing to risk his political future because showing love to somebody in need was a better use of his gifts. Love's victory is the most important thing. You know, the Apostle Peter states in 1 Peter 4 from verse 8, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Well, we've seen tonight that love is crucial. Without it, we can't actually serve. It's crucial in the use of our spiritual gifts. It must shape our actions as we serve other people. And love is permanent. It will continue into eternity when everything else is gone and it's just Christ's body before him. Love will be the most important thing. Christ's love for us, our love for him and each other. Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your Son we have the perfect selfless example of sacrificial love. And we know that we're flawed, that we struggle to live up to the example of our Saviour. Uh, we cannot this side of heaven for sin still mars our actions and our motives each and every day. But Lord, help us to strive to be those who are truly seeking to serve others, who are motivated not for the praise of this world, uh, but simply to honour you and to serve our sisters and brothers in Christ. Help us to do so this week. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.